Now, the point of Christianity is to plant seeds and grow a harvest. So it's all about building something new. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, where our goal is to help you grow in your faith. A strong faith is the foundation for every good thing in your life. and encourages you through tough times. and encourages you every single day. And a strong faith will make the good times even better because it is faith that brings meaning to life. Your faith is the primary factor in growing emotionally strong, and it gives you guidance in how to love the most important people in your life, and it keeps your relationships healthy. What you think impacts what you believe and what you believe determines what you do and what you do is who you become. First John 5, 4 says, you may have challenges, obstacles, and hard times, but you are called to be an overcomer. The apostle John says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we are here to help you grow a strong and powerful faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome everybody. It's good to be here with you. The salty crew. Boy, you guys are out there spreading the salt. It's really quite amazing. We've shifted over to our own website and YouTube channel. And so we just want to encourage you that if you're ever on YouTube to hit the subscribe and like button, because once we get up to a thousand subscribers, YouTube kind of unlocks a whole nother level that allows us to do a whole bunch of new things. Right. So send out a note and email to all your friends and say, whether you listen or not, go to YouTube and subscribe to the salty pastor, because we want to get those uh, subscriptions up there in order to access all of the uh, kind of, it's kind of behind the curtain tech, but uh, that YouTube will allow you to do, but they ignore you until you get a thousand subscribers. So we want to get up there and try to get that going. Absolutely. Well, we are in the midst of our series on the parables called the moral of the story. And we are on a new parable this week, uh, the parable of the shrewd manager. And I have to be honest, this is a parable that escapes me a little bit. We talked a little <laughs> bit about it on Tuesday, but yeah. I am a little confused, Pastor, <laughs> even with Pastor Harv's great explanation. So um, I know it's not the most popular parable. I think it's because it's really hard to understand. Yes. Um, and, and Jesus is not trying to really explain a lot of it. He, <laughs> yeah. He's, like many of the parables, he doesn't explain it. ones where we have a description of exactly what he wanted us to get out of it after yes. that. Yes. Um, so it definitely makes it a little hard for us to apply it if we don't understand it. So, um, pastor, take us away. Help me, <laughs> help me, pastor. You and pastor hard between the two of you can maybe get me some, uh, understanding on this parable. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just so glad that Pastor Harv took the time to really exegete the passage and dig into it. And the parable of the shrewd manager, like you said, is not one of the most well-known parables. When you bring it up, people will go, well, what's that? If you say, hey, it's the parable of the lost sheep or the prodigal son or the good Samaritan, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, perfectly familiar. But this one, they're like, well, what was that one about again? And so you have to kind of tell it's in Luke chapter 16. And I don't want to read the whole thing again, or go through all of the, the, the in-depth study that pastor Harv did. I just want to recap a couple key points from the parable. Number one is the owner praised the manager for what he did as being shrewd. Right. Okay. 
which is the first part where people can get confused. Yeah, they're, that is a little bit confusing. Oh, is he like, is Jesus saying we should do wrong things or right. what? Uh, and the second thing, that, but that's not the point. The point is, is that the owner or, you know, the, of, the, of the business, he praised the manager for being shrewd. Not for what he did, but that he acted shrewdly. He kind of mm. bifurcates or separates the two things. Number two is Jesus then says this, the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. So what does that mean? Well, sons of light are those who people who are living in the kingdom. These are people who are redeemed. They've been brought from death to life. They are new creations in Christ. They have been clothed with the righteousness of God. And their minds have been renewed with the truth. They no, are no longer blind or walking in darkness. That's the sons of light, okay? But he contrasts this with the what? The sons of this age. So he's talking about people who are non-believers, people who are uh, focused only on this life and this world. So today we would call these people atheists, secular humanists, scientific materialists, hedonists, Marxists, cultural or social Marxists, and people who are simply uh, non-religious, agnostic. What he says is that people who live that way are better at using money to get what they want than the sons of light. Okay. Okay. So that's a very important principle. And then finally, Jesus tells us in the last statement, verse nine, he says, so I say to you, so he's talking to the disciples and other people following him. He says, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. So it's like, well, who's the they? Right. You know, is that a reference to the Trinity or or, or Saint Peter and the apostles at the gate not letting you, you in? Read, or, or you could read it as the unrighteous, right? Because yeah. he just mentioned the unrighteous. So it's like, wait, what are the yeah, unrighteous what the ones means? doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's what's so interesting. Now, if you really dig into it, into the original language, Koine Greek, what you find is that the reference, the way they uh right is that the reference they is referring to those who are in the kingdom okay right and but what he's saying is make friends for yourselves so what we need to do is we need to increase our community of not just like-minded people but of redeemed people living in the kingdom we need more kingdom people we don't need fewer so I think this is a critical point. He says you need to use money to grow the kingdom of God. Money one day will fail. We've seen this over and over and over again in economies and nations that have risen and fallen and collapsed because the primary thing that's so critically important is that it's who becomes a redeemed follower and a, and a participant living in the kingdom of God. Do you remember when we started this entire series, the very first parable we talked about was the weeds, 
right? Yes, the or parable the, of the, 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 the wheat three and soils. the tares. Oh, wheat and the tares, yes. The wheat right. and the tares. And what happened is an enemy came in, you know, a guy plants wheat out there, and, and then an enemy comes in and plants weeds. Yes, sowed all the weeds into the field. and Yeah, yeah and okay. so the workers say, so we go out and weed the field, and what does the owner say? Don't no, because You'll you, ruin it. you can upset the roots of the good wheat. What we'll do is we'll let them grow together, we'll harvest it, and then we'll separate it, we'll burn up the weeds, and then we'll keep the weed. Right. So I call it the in, great in-between. And so this is really part of this notion of the great in-between is that right now in the world, the field, are good wheat and weeds growing side by side. What he's saying is the weeds are a lot better at fertilizing themselves than the weed is. Right. When it comes to money, if money's a fertilizer. So what we want you to do is he says, I want you to figure out how to get more wheat in the field. Okay. okay we, and the world needs more friends, more kingdom people. So here's what I would say we should consider these principles mean for us today. We need to learn how to be more strategic. The reason why Christianity is not growing in America is because the followers of Jesus, this is a salty thing to say, are more interested in being left alone or comfortable than trying to build something that actually makes a difference. Mm. Okay. That, that's really important to understand is that uh, the goal in Christianity is not to be a conservative. And I mean that in the political sense is what conservatives do is they want to conserve, right, the traditional values. Now, the point of Christianity is to plant seeds and grow a harvest. So it's all about building something new. Right. Now, what's really, really important is if you are a shrewd farmer, you understand how to prep the soil and you can turn bad soil. Remember the parable of the four soils? You can turn bad soil, rocky soil or weedy soil into good soil. Right? right. You've got to till it and prep it. You got to fertilize it. You got to, it takes a while right. to get it there, but you can do it. And so the people of God need to be builders. We need to be more than just political activists. I think political uh, involvement is important. I think political uh, involvement is something that every believer should engage in, but ultimately that's secondary. And the most important thing that we can do is build this, an upstream idea is build things that lead people to Christ. Mm. Right. And we don't do it in a way that, uh, inoculates them against the gospel, but actually turns them into good soil first. Right. So that when they receive it, they grow to maturity. Cause the thing we don't want to do is inoculate people against the gospel by telling them that, well, you're basically, you know, Craig Rochelle termed this, you know, you're basically a Christian atheist. You, when you were a kid, you said, oh, I prayed the sinner prayer and I got baptized. So I'm a Christian, but you've lived your entire life without ever thinking or considering God on any decision you've ever made. Right. And so Craig Rochelle says, uh, that this is basically Christian atheism. You right. think you're a Christian and you're not. Well, the other issue too is cultural Christianity. Is a lot of people think, well, I was born an American, so I'm a Christian, right? Right. You go, no, that's not it. And so what he's saying is we need to be more shrewd. And that's why Foothills in particular is a church that focuses on discipleship, mm. right? Is we don't want to just, you know, try to reach people at a very basic level. We want them to grow to maturity. We want them to be good soil. We want them to help them become good soil. What we really want to do is we want to see them mature and develop. That's why I say fluff is not enough, mm. right? I don't want you to be shallow soil so that when the sun comes up, it scorches you and you're done. 
And what's the sun? It's tr- troubles and tribulations in this world. So we need to learn how to be more strategic and the method to become that we can use to be more strategic is money. Jesus specifically says to use money in order to influence people. And then he goes on with this phrase, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth that is unrighteous. And what he's not saying is he's not saying money's evil. He's just saying it's, it's a tool. It's not righteous or unrighteous. You see what I'm saying? It's right. not righteous and holy. You know, it's not evil and sinful. It's just, there's no righteous activity to it because it's just, it's just a tool that embarks. Business. So use your money to build the kingdom of God. Use money to make friends. Mm. Use money to introduce people to Christ. So uh, when money fails, when you don't have that anymore, guess what? There's more and more friends of the kingdom of God is bigger. There's more and more friends of the gospel, so to speak. And this is really interesting because you look back historically and you can see the power of this. During the 1700s and 1800s, we saw the greatest global expansion of the gospel in the history of the world. It was unbelievable. Now, there are two primary factors that allowed this to happen. First, it was uh, being able to get to the far reaches of the globe by ship. Uh, The ability to travel by boat to anywhere in the world had become safer due to improved navigation. The number one thing that improved navigation was the pocket watch. That seems counterintuitive. Yeah. People don't realize that is that if you have a sextet, right, which tells you where the horizon is and you have an accurate timing device so you know exactly what time it is, you can affix your position anywhere on the globe Okay. when you're on the open sea. So you can know exactly where you're at. And so a simple compass heading can t- tell you where to go because mm. you get to pull out the map and go, Oh, I'm out here in the middle of the ocean right here. And if I set my compass to North 289 yep. degrees, I'm going to sail right towards the Caribbean kind of a thing. So it, it's just one of those, that was very, very important is a huge deal. And because that, that had happened, it allowed people to travel safely because now navigation, now there's still accidents because of storms, but primarily it was much more safer. The second reason why is because of missionary societies, particularly in England. These were groups of people that would go out and raise money and invested this money in spreading the gospel. And it was missionary societies that sent out some of the most famous missionaries of the past. Hudson Taylor to China, Albert Schweitzer down to Africa, William Carey, Andrew Fuller, David Livingstone. He, he was really fin- fascinating. He was a Scottish congregationalist, and he went to Africa for the sole purpose to end slavery in the 1700s. Wow. You know, that's, he wanted to go to the source of where it was being practiced and he wanted to end it there. Eric Liddell or Lytle. Uh, he was an Olympic gold medalist, uh, in, uh, when, 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 when was that? 1930, I think he won the 400 meter. He, had a movie made about him and another runner's life called the chariots of fire that won seven Academy awards. I think seven or nine. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. And he was a missionary to China. And what's really fascinating. He is the only person in China who is a foreigner that's ever been designated as a national treasure by China, by China. Wow. Yeah. He's the only one. And so what happened is in the thirties, he ran and then he became a missionary there. And he was so loved that then when Japan, Imperial Japan 
took off and became a, one of the Axis powers with Germany to try to you know take over the world. They came in and they took over China, invaded China. Uh, he wouldn't leave. He stayed, and he was interred in a prison camp with other Chinese people, where he ultimately died of you know typhoid or mm. something like that. And so the Chinese people made him a national treasure. It's really interesting. These people were giants. I mean, what they did, these people were giants. When you go to Africa today, the best places to live, the highest quality of life, the most stable governments, the strongest economies exist where these people went and did ministry. Mm. When they went and preached the gospel, they laid the foundation. You know, Albert Schweitzer today, the, the hospital he started on, I think it's the Gabon River or something like that, the Gabon or something. It, it is the number one infectious disease research facility in the world. They are the ones that have done the greatest work on malaria and mm. on HIV. Wow. It's really fascinating, even till this day. And these people were giants, but they did what they did because people who were kingdom people took the money they had and invested it in expanding the kingdom of God. They funded these people and their missionary endeavors. Well, and I think, I mean, to bring it forward to our time, it's like even this podcast exists because there was money given because this is not a cheap thing to do right no. at the level that we do it yeah you could you know go and record it on a, a crappy laptop and and have a podcast that is yeah. a possibility yes but to do the quality we do to have the uh regularity that we do to build the studio we built like that all costed money and then on top of that there's just the time investment of making getting the enough people to subscribe so that we could let YouTube put this on, put things on our website and different stuff in a way that we would actually want to do it. And so it's like, there's all this time and, and, and mm -hmm. money committed in order to even just get this, which we are reaching a wider thing, but even just our mission work here as the salty pastor yeah. required a lot of money. So doing stuff of that nature, I, I can't even imagine. I mm -hmm. mean, right. And so having funds, allows you to reach people whether it's yeah. in africa or it's through a podcast those funds are if used correctly and you you are shrewd i would say mm -hmm. you can do great work for the kingdom with that money but if you're just holding on to it or you're you're not utilizing it for kingdom work you're using it for your own profit then i think that's a very different thing right yeah it, it these things are expensive but these you know booking Back then in the 1700s, booking passage on a ship, right, and hauling stuff to take to China or Africa or wherever, you know, is was very expensive. Right. You know, there was a famous letter from a missionary society written to Albert Schweitzer when he was building this hospital on this river. And he, they said, uh, dear sir, we would like to send you a missionary, we'd like to send you missionaries to support da, da, da. As soon as you can get a road built up there, <laughs> we, you know, we want to be able to send people there. And he writes back and he says, if they need a road built before they come, I don't want them. <laughs> he goes, cause you gotta be a hardy individual yes. to get up here. It's expensive to get just to get there, right. you know, was hard, extremely difficult and dangerous. And yet these people went out with no concern for their lives. They went out and they did phenomenal things that are happening. Many people today 
say that by just sheer numbers, there are more devoted Christians living in China than in America, mm. right? When you think of 1.2, 1.3 billion people, somewhere between 10 and 17% of those people are deeply committed Christians. They're in underground churches. They are being persecuted beyond belief. It's still growing like wildfire over there. And what's fascinating is you, you take that percent, you're talking over 200 million people. And I can tell you right now, there are not 200 million highly devoted disciples of Christ in America today, <laughs> right? In a population of 330 million, you know, you can't say that over 50% right? It's much, much lower than that. It's actually around 23%. So not quite one out of four. Still significant, right? but nowhere near that. And just pure numbers. Now I know we're comparing apples to oranges there, but I think what's really important to understand is that it was expensive to do these things. It's expensive to do what we do, right? right? And I think this is so important though, because what happens oftentimes followers of Christ, new followers is that they're like, well, I'll, as soon as I do better, I'll be generous. Right. right. But what's really fascinating is some of the people that have supported this ministry and supported church stuff is like this, is that they were generous before they were successful. Mm. And if you were to talk to them, they would say the secret to my success was I was generous to God. I was rich towards God before, right. I got successful. Right. And so that's, you know, you don't, the horse that pulled their cart was generosity <laughs> and you don't want to get the cart success in front of the horse. Right. I believe this is why Jesus Christ himself store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Just think of the treasures, the people who finance these giants of the past have in heaven, the stories that they're telling for an eternity. These people were able to do what they did because they were shrewd. They knew how to use money to make friends. However, what we're facing today, it's sad to say, is all the money's going in the opposite direction. Mm. Today, because of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, critical race theory, these people in our universities today um, are maligning these giants of the past. They call them, you know, uh, racist white people who were colonizers. Right. And they never, no one ever asked the question is, well, what happened when these people went to the country? Is Was it better off or worse off? Right. And almost always it was better off. And the other lie that our universities tell, this critical race theory and Frankfurt School of Theory and all this kind of stuff that is so bad, is this, is that the country that sent these people, you know, to go and to do colonization never got back half of what it cost them to send those people. Right. So it was purely a act of generosity, right? People say, we want to go out. We want to try, we want to do this. And it's really quite fascinating. This is what's happening with the founders of America, not just great missionaries of the past that were giants, but our very own founders are faced with this craziness. Uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, Patrick Henry, Sam Adams, Paul Revere, John Hancock, Benjamin Franklin, and all the other signers of the Declaration of Independence were giants. These people were intellectual giants. And many of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence, they lost you know, five or six of them were arrested and tortured and killed for treason. 
uh, I think five to seven of them lost their own children in the Revolutionary War. Mm. Most lost their livelihood and their estates were seized by the British and burned to the ground. A lot of them had to live on the run for a, a long period of, of time. But they were giants. And today, guess what? They are being maligned. They are being hated as charlatans, grifters, um, by these social Marxist ideologues. It's absolutely the craziest thing ever. Thomas Sowell, who is a part of... Uh, the think tank at Stanford University, he says that the incredible ignorance around slavery is what allows these charlatans and grifters and social Marxists to malign our finding fathers. They say that they were white men who were slave owners, and so we have to... Uh, reject everything they started. And Thomas Sowell says this is absolutely absurd and is based on 100% ignorance. And he states that up until the 18th century, the entire globe, every culture, every ethnic group, every language, every society practiced slavery. It was universal. He says that it wasn't the practice of slavery that was a big deal in the 18th century, what's the big deal is those who began to oppose it, which was a uniquely Christian idea. When you go back through history, Christianity had ended slavery two other times prior to this in places where it had influence. In the places where it had no influence, slavery was rampant and huge and well accepted. But back to this main point, and that is George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin all became vocal opposers of slavery, and they refused to give their slaves to their in their will to be owned by somebody else. They freed all of their slaves, right, and turned them into free people. And so that's the most remarkable thing about our founding fathers, but it's this ignorance that is being propagated in order to malign and give a false narrative about the founding of America in its exact same false narrative that so many of these elitists bring against the giants of the faith, the expansion of missions. And so I think we have to be really, really careful and see that the money that we have here on earth it needs to be designed to build the truth about Christianity and the truth even maybe about our founding fathers, or we will be in danger of losing it because the, the unrighteous people of this world know how to use money to get what they want. Right. And they're doing it. Yeah. I think it's, it's what you said near the beginning is really key, which is there's a lot of people, especially Christians that are more concerned with comfort or, making criticisms than building something right mm -hmm. and that's that's what the world as a whole has come to in all of these people that have done amazing things were they perfect no but none of us are perfect but they're more interested in tearing them down for the things that they did wrong than saying hey they did these amazing things and helped set up certain parts of africa to be the most productive best parts of africa they helped create one of the greatest mm -hmm experiments in the world which is the america united states of america right like mm -hmm. there's all of these things that they did great but they would sit, rather say well you should throw everything out that they ever did because they made mistakes and mm -hmm. that's 
what they're interested in these days, as opposed to what you're calling us to and what Jesus is calling us to is go out and build something. Yeah, you are flawed, but go do something with your money. Don't just sit and hide in a corner with it. Don't just uh, cancel or or tear other people down with your money. Go build something. Get out yeah. there and do something. Yeah, I think that that's really critical. I think it's time for us to wake up as followers of Christ in America. Right. I, don't, I have no doubt that people who are following Jesus in China are wide awake. They're very sober. Right. They, right? They're aware of what their situation is. <laughs> yeah, they know is. exactly what, what could hit them. But it's time for us to take a stand as followers of Christ, as kingdom people. The key is to be shrewd and strategic. Right. And I, I really don't think that, you know, taking some type of flag down on the main street in front of the Capitol and burning it or getting a bullhorn is strategically going to make any difference. Right. It, it plays right. well on TV but it doesn't actually make any difference. Mm. We need to build things that make differences. We need to build educational systems and institutions that educate children properly, right? We need more Christian schools, more Christian um, uh, educational uh, places where people can learn not only about their faith and about how their faith can drive their life and bring joy and blessing, but how to live in the kingdom of God and defend what they believe. And they know what it, what, why they believe what they believe. I think we need to build marketplaces that are built on honesty and integrity, right? That really help people not be, uh, brought into overwhelming Debt, you know, we talked about that a while back, how debt is a problem, consumer debt. And we, we need to help people get out of that. We, we need to build systems to, to reach people in ways we never imagined before. As a matter of fact, this parable right here is one of the inspirations for the Salty Pastor podcast. Mm. Many people do not realize that the church's approach today, particularly regarding Marxist social theory in particular, is exactly the same approach that the Catholic Church took during the rise of the Third Reich. Now, let me explain that, okay? I was going to say, I need <laughs> a little bit more information on that statement, Pastor. During... During the rise of the Third Reich, okay, in the early 30s that came in and took over Germany, is that the Catholic Church chose to be neutral. They said, we're not going to take a position on it, right or wrong. And their reasoning was, well, there's Catholic people there, um, not a lot, but some, you know, is predominantly a Lutheran, you know, country, is we're, we're just going to be neutral. We're not going to take a position. And so by being neutral, you know what they ended up doing is they kind of became enablers of a lot of stuff. And their reasoning was, we want to keep doing ministry because ministry is what we are all about. Well, today, many churches, particularly those that I would say are like mega churches, refuse to even talk about these issues, let alone address them with any type of teaching. Now, they do it on the basis of, well, we don't want to close people off from the gospel. But there's a danger in it. And here's my warning. Here's my danger. And that is this. I get your desire to have the gospel above all else. I'm that way. We always say gospel first, right? right. But if you do just a cursory study of history, you will understand and realize that being neutral is not an option in this situation. Why? Mm. Now, some people say, well, being neutral is will work because people will come to their senses. 
okay, I understand your desire for that to be true. The question is, how do you know it's true? The other thing is this is uh, the church. A lot of people are saying, well, we need the Benedict option. There's actually a guy who wrote a book called Benedict option. And basically he says, we need to retreat into our own educational things, our own suburbs, our own uh, universities, our own monasteries, our nunneries. And it comes from this idea of the Benedictine movement, which was a reform movement that, that basically ensconced themselves during all the political upheaval. And then eventually society, you know, was such a train wreck. Then they come back around and go, oh boy, these monks really know what they're doing. You know, they <laughs> eat regularly. They have lots of beer and stinky cheese. Let's make sure that we, we want that too. So long and short of it is, what people uh, realize is that, or, or, or suggesting, excuse me, is that we employ the Benedict option and we retreat into our own areas. But my question is, the assumption is that social Marxist ideology, which is driving all of this stuff, today is similar to Western civilization political ideolo- ideologies from a thousand years ago when the Benedictine movement flourished. Okay. In reality... Social Marxism is a lot like the Third Reich, okay? And the Catholic Church was devastated by remaining neutral. Mm. That became a huge problem for them. And that is another place that this is applicable. When you read history, up into the 4th and 5th century in North Africa, guess what? It was the most densely populated region on the face of the earth of Christians. Hmm. Many of the greatest libraries, uh, early church fathers, doctrinal writing, even St. Augustine himself came from North Africa. Okay. Today, you cannot find a single Christian in North Africa at all, except for the Coptic community in southern Egypt, which is about 2,000 people. And the reason why you can't find a Christian is because in the 7th and 8th century, the Islamic caliphates came through there, the Umayyad, the Amayyads came through there, and guess what they did? They murdered every single Christian. Oh my gosh. They just said, you know, these Christians said, well, we just want to retreat into our libraries. Let us retreat into our monasteries. They went in and killed them all by the sword because they wouldn't convert. I'm sorry to be so salty, but this is exactly what social Marxist theory is all about. They aren't interested in freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of political affiliation, freedom to assemble. Just like every other socialist and communist country that has ever existed, their goal is to completely wipe out any and all of these things in order to have 100% compliance. In that circumstance, there is no place to retreat to. There's no walls that you can hide behind. You cannot watch the insanity pass you by. If American Christians don't wake up and discover ways to use unrighteous mammon in order to strategically build the kingdom of God right here on our American soil, guess what? There will be no Christianity in America in 100 years. That's a hard pill to swallow, but that's what's going to happen. Well, and we're going to leave you guys to think and swallow that pill as you decide (laughs) what your next step is. Pastor Doug has given us a call to action of it is time to stop retreating. It is time to stop uh, assuming things are going to get better. And it's time to stop just criticizing things, but instead Mm -hmm. step out and build something. So I ask you to take some time to think through what you are ready to build, what you are ready to actually do with the gifts that you've been given, with the wealth that you have had, and decide how you are going to build the kingdom with that wealth. 
Um, not that it should rule your life, not that it should be the only thing about you, but as Jesus called us to be, utilize it so that you can store up eternal treasures yes. in heaven. And that is your call to action today. Mm. Thank Amen. you guys so much for joining us. We appreciate you being here with us here on The Salty Pastor each and every week. Again, uh, we're excited that we have this new YouTube channel that we're doing. If you're just listening on the podcast platforms, that's you have seen no difference, but the new YouTube channel devoted directly to The Salty Pastor is great. And it's a great way to share The Salty Pastor with people that maybe are not Foothills attenders or that you are wanting to slowly immerse in The Salty Pastor ethos. Mm. Um, you are always able to give through The Salty Pastor website if you want to support the podcast directly. As we said, this is not a cheap thing to do and we are happy to do it but if you want to help support and build the kingdom that is a great way to do it thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you next week on the Celtic pastor podcast blessings